What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine podcast. This is episode 57, 56. I honestly have no idea what episode this is. 56. Welcome to the Twilight Nine podcast. My name is Riley. We got a lot to go over today. Um, the Solheim Cup, I just finished up watching it, waited to record today until it was over. That was honestly probably one of the best golf tournaments, events, championships that I've watched in a few years. It was incredible. Like I go back to the last Ryder Cup and the U.S. got spanked so bad that it's even tough to, I mean, it was awesome to watch obviously, but we got absolutely spanked. The U.S. Open this year was cool. Um, the Masters in November was awful. This Masters in April was like okay. Um, it was pretty much over after Xander's T-ball. I I find I mean the uh, BMW Championship was sick. The Travelers Championship was really good with the big playoff. But like in a championship this big and an event this big, I don't know if there was a better one this season in the world of golf than the Solheim Cup. It was outrageously good. The women, the ladies playing in that golf tournament, that event, they were absolutely locked in. They were getting the crowd going. It was one of the best things that I've seen on TV in a long time. And I hope you guys watched it because I watched the Tour Championship on Thursday and then after the Solheim Cup started, I didn't watch a single second of the Tour Championship. Not a single second. I didn't care. Because watching the tour championship, flipping over to watching Eastlake, where nobody's cheering and everybody's walking down fairways, and then you switch over to the Solheim Cup, where Danielle Kang's on the tee box pumping everybody up while she's hitting tee shots. The Cordis sisters are getting everybody lit on tee boxes. That is just so much better than watching fucking Bryson DeChambeau try to hit a 350 down Eastlake. I could give two shits. Honest to God about the tour championship while the Solheim Cup was on. I did not care at all. Granted, what I heard about the tour championship, I guess it was okay. I don't know. Patrick Re- uh, Patrick Cantlay won. He started with a lead. Who cares? We're going to talk about everything, though. We're going to go over the tour championship. We're going to go over Cantlay, Rom, Kevin Na, who is like pushing himself for a Ryder Cup spot. We're going to touch on Rory a little bit. And then we're going to kind of get into a discussion on who should be player of the year, because that was one of the trending topic, I guess, on golf Twitter after the tour championship was debating on who is going to be the player of the year. And I think it kind of comes down to three different guys. It's either going to be Patrick Cantlay, it's either going to be John Rahm, and I, it's either going to be Colin Morikawa. And honestly, I don't think it's that close. Who should win it? We'll obviously get into that a little bit later. And then at the end of the show, we're going to jump into a little bit of a Ryder Cup team prediction. Some of the players are already locked in. They're already made their teams um, the U.S. already has six guys. I believe the European team. I'm unsure, to be honest with you, how the European team points work because some guys are on the team based on European points, and then some guys are on um, based on world points. Which I get it, right? They're pulling from pulling from different tours and everything. But we're gonna go over who I think should make the United States team, um, how they should really kind of build around it because they're in a really, really tricky spot right now um, with with a lot of things, especially 
we're going to jump into it into a second, but like Brooks Kepka makes it very complicated. Um, some of the relationships make it complicated. So you really want to round out the team with those last six guys that can build in or come in and build just a good locker room, a good vibe, because the guys on the team right now, some of them just don't like each other and you can't win a, a team event like that. So we're going to jump into some predictions, stuff like that. But the first headline is, or the one headline, to be honest, is Brooks Kepka. He got hurt at the tour championship, hurt his wrist. Um, it was a root. I guess I just saw a video on Twitter and then I guess he tried to play the next hole or the next few holes. And then he was out, hopped on a golf cart with Jenna Sims and he was out of there. Um, he also, if anybody out there was, um, or a follower of like Dave Portnoy from Barstool, they were supposed to have some, uh, charity match this week where Brooks played lefty and Dave played, he is a lefty. So lefty. And then whoever won had to donate, like, I think a quarter of a million dollars to, uh, charity. That is obviously off. He is hurt, and it puts into question his his Ryder Cup status. He's one of the automatic qualifiers for the Ryder Cup. They may have to fill that hole, which means then you're pulling from guys that don't have experience or just plain aren't as good as Brooks Kepka. There's not a lot of guys on tour that are better than Brooks Kepka. and when you have that kind of advantage on the U.S. Ryder Cup team, you would like to take advantage of that and not lose them during due to injury. And we're, we got a couple guys that are like Patrick Reed, Captain America. You want him on that team. He just got to the hospital with uh, pneumonia where the doctor was like, yeah, you need to start talking about talking to your family, wife and everybody just because we don't know what's going to happen here. He was fighting for his life, which is very scary. Um, so you don't know what kind of health he's going to bring into it. You don't know if you can have Patrick Reed on that team. So not having Brooks Kepka makes the situation very, very complicated. But so he hurt himself. That sucks. He's going to I don't know. There's no word on how bad it is. There's no word on if he's going to try to fight through it and play whistling straights. There's just no word about it, but hopefully he can kind of suck it up and play because we need him. If we're going to be honest, we need him because the U S got their booty spanked a couple years ago. And I don't want that to happen again, but jumping into the tour championship here, Patrick Cantlay wins the tour championship. This is his fourth win. I believe on the season, right? He won the Zozo back in, what was that? October. Then he won the, what tournaments did he win? He won the Zozo. Why am I blanking? BMW Championship, the Tour Championship, and the Memorial, kind of, which we're going to be going over. So racked up the wins. I think that was his sixth PGA Tour win. Uh, the best part for, um, I don't know, probably winning the golf tournament for him was the best part because you get another championship title. Cool trophy, the medal, the medal club or whatever. But he did walk off that putting green knowing that he just made $15 million. So that helps. That helps the cause. Um, that pretty much sets up him for life, sets up his kids for life, winning a one golf tournament. That must be a pretty damn good feeling walking off that green. He's not in it for the money, though. That's what he said after the round. He just wants to win a bunch of golf tournaments, you know, solidify his name in the history books. That's the... Um, uh, that's the correct answer that you want to hear from a golfer. Um, but does $15 million hurt? No. I mean, you saw Rory a couple of years ago when he won it back in 2019, he walked off the green, given the given Johnny Manziel fingers to his boys behind the green. Like the money is not uh, something that they just don't care about because that's fucking a, a ridiculous amount of money. It's outrageous. Played four days of golf and he won $15 million. Needed to make birdie on the last. Rom put some pressure on him. I don't know who hit their first approach shot on the 18th, but 
Rom, it made me a little nervous watching the replay. I actually thought he almost dunked it for Albatross, and then it goes over the back of the green. He ended up making birdie, but I mean, Cantlay stuffed his approach to, I think, right outside 11 feet for Eagle, missed the pipe, and made birdie, and that was good enough to get it done. And he did, he did bring up kind of a good point where a lot of people kind of, and I, I've been guilty of this too, kind of put aside Patrick Cantlay, like when they see him with good odds entering the golf tournament or as one of the favorites, you kind of just put him aside, don't even think about Patrick Cantlay. But he's getting to the point where now he's at six wins. At the beginning of the season, he had two wins. So come, some of those thoughts were justified. Like, yeah, he plays well and he's always in the top 10 of every leaderboard, but like he's not going to win. When you win four times in one season, that's usually three times in one calendar year. That's usually a way to kind of get the golf world's attention. And he has. He said that if he keeps playing golf like this, he's going to be hard to ignore. And he's becoming a little hard to ignore. He's a fucking problem. He just does everything well. His golf swing is one of the most boring golf swings I've ever seen in my entire life, but it just gets the job done. I forget who tweeted it. It was either like Shane Bacon or one of those boys. They said that, if you were to buy the brand new Tiger Woods game and you go in and create your player, Patrick Cantlay's swing is the very first swing that the game gives you. Like that's just the most basic golf swing of all time. And that couldn't have been more true. He has the most boring golf swing, but it just gets it done. Back turn, turn through the golf ball. And it's just really, really good. And then he's been rolling it for the last couple of weeks. He's obviously a good putter. He changed up a couple of things. Um, he put an alignment on the back of his putter or on the top of his putter rather. And then he put a line on the side of his ball to kind of make alignment a little bit easier. So now all you're thinking about when you're over the golf ball is speed, which if you take out one of those two, you can all, all of a sudden put all of your focus on one of them. Good technique. Good technique. A lot of players do that. You say Bryson do it all the time. Takes 15 minutes to line up the golf ball, but he's a good putter, so it gets it done. He's up to fourth in the official World Golf Rankings. I think he was at fourth after his BMW Championship win. I don't think this moved him any higher, but, I mean, he's a solidified top five player in the world now, and that would sound crazy to say back in January, even though I think he was, like, ninth entering 2020, so, or 2021. Talking Patrick Cantlay, man. He's the most boring person of all time. Covering a media is a little bit frustrating because you want him to be a little bit more like outgoing and say some shit, but he's like one of the most boring people to cover all the time, but he gets it done. He wins a fuck ton of money and he has a brand new nickname, Patty Ice, which I don't know how I feel about that. Um, it fit in Atlanta, obviously with Matt Ryan right there, Matty Ice playing for the Falcons. Does it fit? Probably. He was ice cold all, all playoff long. He was ice cold. So I get why the nickname is there. I get why it's probably going to stick. It looks like he has no emotion behind his eyes, which also helps the nickname. I'm sure if he plays the same way during the Ryder Cup and he's just stone cold at Whistling Straits, I'll start calling him Patty, guys. I don't love it right now, but if he wins us a Ryder Cup, I'll call you whatever you want. John Rahm uh, was one of many people. A lot of people were just betting on John Rahm. It seemed like the logical choice, um, even though he was starting out several shots back. What was he four back entering the week? I believe. Um, I think he had the best odds at like plus four hundred. A lot of people were on John Rom. You take the strokes away. John Rom, I believe, set the scoring record for Eastlake. Um, he didn't go to home too sad about his performance either. I mean, he won five million dollars, so that's the biggest purse of his entire career. When you bring into account that he probably won a little over two for the U.S. Open, he made more than double that just by beating twenty eight other guys at Eastlake in Atlanta can't complain about that too much um another guy that was uh, making some noise solo third kevin Na. the dude is just playing some golf right now starting at the john deere 
He finished T2 at the John Deere, T23 at the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational, T2 at the Wyndham, T8 at the Northern Trust, T17 at the BMW, and then solo third at the Tour Championship. I didn't look at him at all at the Tour Championship. I knew he was in good form. I knew he was he was golfing his ball. But, I mean, Eastlake is a big golf course. You need to keep up. And, I mean, he just used accuracy in his short game. You need to hit fairways around Eastlake. And I mentioned it on the show last week that the that the rough around Eastlake can actually be pretty tricky. And I forgot up until I was watching it on Thursday how tricky that rough really is, especially on the long par fours, that Bermuda rough, it can sit, that Bermuda rough, excuse me, the ball can either sit at the top, it can go all the way down to the bottom, you can get flyers, you can get jumpers, you can get dead balls. Anything can happen in that kind of rough. And hitting fairways was huge. We saw it with Rory. Rory didn't hit any fairways. I mean, he's still, I mean, we'll talk about it in Rory in a second, but hitting fairways is really, really important. And maybe around that golf course, you're looking for a little bit more consistency instead of um, bombers. But I mean, you go back to what are the last few guys to win at that golf course? I mean, Billy Ho is one there. Jordan Spieth is one there. So I guess you don't really need to bomb it all over the place, but you go back to recent winners and maybe, maybe that's just because everybody on the PGA tour now averages 310 off the tee. So who knows? But yeah, he's playing some golf. And he's at, we're going to talk about the Ryder Cup here in a little bit. He's making a, a case. I know it sounds ridiculous to say that Kevin Nash should be on a Ryder Cup team for the most important event maybe in, in golf. Like the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup may be the two most important events in golf. To say that he should be on that team, I don't know if I feel very comfortable saying Kevin Na. Like, what if Kevin Na's in one of the last matches and he has to play Tommy Fleetwood and it's coming down? You got to trust Kevin Na. I don't know, but he is playing some golf right now, so who knows if, what Stricker's going to do? Who knows? Uh, Rory he made twenty birdies this week, the most of anybody in the field, and he's just making way too many mistakes. A lot of it's off the tee. Granted, he did make birdies from death places on Thursday. He was in the midst of trees and almost hold it for for eagle. It was crazy, but he was finding mulch. He was finding rough. He was finding trees, everything, and he still made the most birdies in the field, which is both awesome and frustrating at the same time because he's just making too many mistakes, and some of them are just mental. Like Some of the decisions he's making on par fives, like when he, when he doesn't get into the fairway, he's still trying to force it up near the green to try to make birdie, and... Like, for example, I forget, I th- it was probably Friday, but he found on, I believe it's six, he found the fairway bunker down the right-hand side on six and then tried to hit five wood over a lip and then just completely came out of it and he went into the trees and I believe he ended up making bogey. Like, that's just a stupid mistake. Punch out, give yourself a wedge. You're probably going to hit it inside 15 to 12 feet and then you just see if you can make the putt. I just don't know. He's just making a lot of mental mistakes. And I don't really think it's the golf swing. Like, obviously, the golf swing is a little to blame for off the team mistakes. But I think if he just starts playing a little bit smarter, you get rid of those mistakes. I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking. I think he is. And I say this for anybody new listening to the show. I try to talk myself into Roy McIlroy is going to have a gigantic season coming up here next season at the end of every season. And it hasn't really gone that well i mean 2016 he wins the fedex cup obviously that's huge 2019 he wins the fedex cup that's also big this year he won the wells fargo championship but he wins that every year so is that really that big of a deal he won the players a couple years ago but obviously when you talk about rory mcelroy and having a really good year you probably want to put a major into that category but i talk myself every single year into the fact that Roy McIlroy is is poised. His game is coming around, that he's going to have a huge season in 2022. So I'm doing that again. 
I'm setting myself up for probably a little bit disappointment, but that's my guy. That's my guy. So I have to. Now we got to kind of jump into this player of the year discussion. In a lot of people's minds, it comes down to three dudes. Patrick Hanley, John Rahm, and Colin Morikawa. And some people aren't even including Colin Morikawa in that conversation, which off the first hand, I think is stupid. I think if anybody other than Cantlay and John Rahm have earned for their name to be in the discussion, it's, it's Colin Morikawa. So we're going to go over all of their resumes. And I, I don't know. I, have a, I, I don't want to say I have a strong opinion because I could really care less about who wins player of the year. I don't care. But let's go over these. So John Rahm, let's start with John Rahm. Wins the U.S. Open. His major finishes in 2021 include a T5 at the Masters, T8 at the PGA, he won the U.S. Open, and he tied for third at the Open Championship. He also finished inside the top 10 at the Players' Championship. So in the five biggest events of the year, he did not finish outside the top 10. He played in 22 events. He only missed one cut. In those 21 made cuts, he came in the top 10 15 times. Strokes gained for the year, first total. I think he was also first tee to green, and he's number one in the official world golf ranking pretty tough to drop a better year than that unless you add like a second major into that but everybody's asterisk on his year is going to be one win he won once no he didn't in my book he won the memorial that's just the way i feel about it i don't i know a lot of people argue get the vaccine blah 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 keeping the vaccine completely out of it you would have had a case i think that if he missed that final round and then somebody caught up to what he was already already sitting at after Saturday, I would give you a case. No one sniffed what Ram was doing that week, and all of a sudden you just pretty much hand a trophy to Patrick Cantlay. Bullshit. Everybody's going to highlight that one win. When you really think about it, it's just not. He also won this week. He won the Tour Championship. But because of the staggered leaderboard, he didn't. I have a pretty hard time saying that he only won once. That's the official record. In two years, you're going to look back and say, man, John Rahm only won one time in 21-21. No, he didn't. I don't know. Calm workout. Wins the Open Championship. Wins the WGC at concession, a golf course that really no one on tour has seen before, although, albeit rather, in a, in a limited field. I don't remember exactly how many players were in the field, but it is a WGC, so what, 60-ish? Major finishes in 2021. T18, T8, T4 at the U.S. Open, and he won the Open Championship. He paid in 23 events. He made 19 cuts. In those 19 made cuts, he finished inside the top 10 eight times. So nearly half of what John Rahm did. He was first in strokes gained approach for the year. He was second in strokes gained tee to green. He sits at third in the official world golf ranking. And I believe this is the reason why not a lot of people are looking at Kyle Morikawa to win player of the year. It's the last month. He was in almost every tournament, top five at the U.S. Open. He wins the Open Championship. He played okay at the, I think he, what, top 30 at the FedEx St. Jude, the WGC. And then he gets to the playoffs and nearly finishes last in every event. I think he missed the cut at the Northern Trust. I think he came like T50-something 
in the 70 man field at the BMW. And then he was like T26, I believe in the 30 man field at the tour championship at Eastlet. A lot of people recency bias are like, Colin Morikawa is playing like shit right now. Look at these guys at the top of the leaderboard the last couple of weeks. They are the only ones in the conversation. Colin Morikawa, I don't think is going to win player of the year, but two wins, which is already more than Rom, two wins, a WGC and a major, right? Two of the bigger ones that you can win during the season. The only two win combination that could be better is two majors or probably a, a, a players, a major and a players, but he got a major and a WGC. It's pretty damn good. And I just think not a lot of people are bringing him up just because of that, his rough finish to the season. He's just playing really bad golf right now. And it's really due to an injury. His back hurts. And with he fades the golf ball. When you fade the golf ball as your primary uh, as your primary golf shot, your primary golf shape, you need rotation. You keep the face still, and you use rotation of your body to make it start left and drop to the right. When you can't rotate because your back hurts, you have to come out of everything, and all of a sudden, everything is pushed 10 yards to the right. And this is a guy that's used to hitting five irons to like 12 feet on a very, very regular basis so i don't know it's just a tough it's just a tough finish for colin morikawa and then the last guy in the conversation patrick cantley wins zozo memorial bmw tour championship let's go over those wins again zozo 78 man field limited field memorial would have lost by a thousand if john rom played on sunday bmw 70 man field Tour championship, 30-man field, and he started two ahead and one by one. I'm not saying there's an asterisk on all of those wins. Obviously, the Zozo, that field was loaded. That's a good win. Memorial, I do not count that. I know he got about over a million dollars for that. John Rahm won that golf tournament. BMW, obviously, you went out and beat Bryson. That's just a fact. You made everything that week. And then a tour championship, like you won the tour championship, you won $15 million. And I'm sure that if he didn't play with a lead, he may have played that week differently, but that could also be argued. And he just like didn't win the tour championship in, in gross. So I don't know. It's tough to put an asterisk on like the tour championship because he probably played a little bit to the format. You don't have to press as much when you have a two-shot lead going into the week, but who knows? I just have a really hard time giving him the, uh, the memorial, and that was the only win that came in a full-size field. So I don't know. But in 24 events, made 19 cuts, seven top 10s. So less top 10s than the rest of them. Major performances, missed the cut at the Masters, T23 at the PGA, T15 at the US Open, missed the cut at the Open Championship. So he missed the weekend in half the majors and he didn't top 10 in a major. He also missed the cut at the players, which is arguably the fifth biggest event of the year. So when five of the biggest events of the year, he did not make it to the weekend and he wasn't in the conversation at all at the other two, finishing outside the top 10. If... People are only going to look at wins. Patrick Cantlay is going to win the player of the year, which I could see happening, right? You say, oh my God, the guy won four times during a, during a season. He has to be player of the year. 
John Rahm is the PGA Tour Player of the Year, whatever whatever the name they have for that award, and I don't think it's that close. He dominated everything. He was just in every single tournament. It was outrageous. Like people forgot. I've already forgotten that he could have could have like he was in the conversation of winning the Northern Trust until he played the last four holes two over. BMW, I don't even know what he came in the BMW, but I'm sure he was up there. And then he was the runner-up at the Tour Championship. He wins the U.S. Open. He charged on Sunday at the Open Championship, finished inside the top five. He was right there legitimately all season long, and he gets the one win. Should have been two wins. Could have easily been four or five wins. I just don't think led pretty much led stroke staying total, led stroke staying tee to green. John Rahm was the best golfer on the planet Earth this year. And I don't think it was relatively close. So in my opinion, that he should win player of the year. That's just my my thoughts on that. I don't know. I think a lot of people, I think Morikawa is like a distant, a distant um, third probably. But I also think that John Rahm is like a distant one. I think Morikawa and Cantley are closer, as a closer gap than can't lay in Rom. I just think Rom was the best player on earth this year and it wasn't close, but who knows? That's just my opinion. The Solheim cup. First of all, the golf course was outstanding. Um, I've never seen that golf course before, but it was really, really good. The greens were gigantic. They were undulating. The bunkers were phenomenal. The fairways, the conditioning looked outrageously good. And I hope that I, I know and it sucks to see on Twitter too, because whenever the LPGA and women's golf is pushed, a lot of people just have really closed minds about that and they just don't want to watch women's golf. And I think that's absolutely bullshit. Bubba was on record this week. I think it might even been a quote today. He said that these girls are probably more talented than the players on the PGA tour. And I have a hard time coming up with an argument like against that. A lot of the guys on the PGA tour I mean, obviously, there's very talented people on the PGA Tour, but the PGA Tour has slowly become kind of just like a distance competition. I mean, you see it with Bryson, you saw it with Rory chasing Bryson, right? You see all this stuff, people feel hitting a 60-inch driver to try to keep up with everybody. The girls hit every fucking fairway. It's insane. They Their ball striking is outrageous. They all roll it. Watching those go- girls play golf this week was legitimately one of the biggest joys I've had watching golf in a long time. And it has to do something with the environment too. It was lit over there in Ohio. They had a good, good time. Captains were, were singing karaoke. Bubba was singing karaoke. He was rapping, which was hilarious. And the girls were vibing. They had a good, good, good time. And there's something about that environment. And thank God we get to see it again with the Ryder cup here in a couple of weeks. But Something about, and it was funny, Solid Solly from the No Laying Up Boys tweeted about the same thing. If anybody, either team, is telling the crowd to get louder as they approach their opening tee shot of the day, I am a sucker for that every single time. Every time, I love it. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter when it is. I love that shit. Like, Danielle Kang was the best to watch all week. I know she struggled with the last... With her last match today, she was the last match coming home. Um, she actually fought back. Patterson only won one up, which is pretty damn good. Just to get to the 18th hole for Kang today. She struggled a little bit today. Um, but 
it was the energy around that place all week long was so good. And I can't overstate how talented those girls are. It is insane how good they are at golf. It's incredible. They don't hit it that long What they hit driver 240 in the air, 220 in the air. It is dead straight every single time. They can shape it both ways. It was just a treat to watch those girls. McGuire for the European side was a fucking problem. Rookie going, I think, what, 4-0-1. She won four and a half points for the European side this week. Ridiculous. Um, Madeline Sagstrom had a great week. I know her results don't really speak for that. Um, her record wasn't that good, but man, did she contribute all week long? Obviously the ruling that sucks. Um, but she ended up beating, um, her Sunday, her Sunday match. She was the second match out. I believe she won three and two Nellie Corda for the most part struggled all week. She didn't really have anything going on. And then she won, um, her singles match on Sunday, one up against hall, which was huge. Um, Megan Kang won three and two. I think she was like six up through eight, but she gained a fan this week. She is fucking lit. She's so good. She fired up the fans and she kicked that girl's ass today. So that was awesome. Awesome to see. Um, obviously the, uh, Jessica Corda is sick. Those girls are just unfairly good at golf. They shouldn't be able to play, um, with everybody else. Um, cup show was huge all weekend. It was just really good. It was just really good golf, really entertaining golf. And, I just, I, I do catch some LPGA, um, like tournaments throughout the year. I do love watching the ladies. This turned me into a full blown. I'm going to watch every tournament every weekend. I don't care. I loved it. They're so fucking good. It's outrageous. I cannot wait to watch the next LPGA tournament. I cannot wait. And what Bubba was doing is awesome. He joked. He said, well, I'm here because I'm not at the tour championship. Now I'm not playing Atlanta, which I get, but what he did showing up, letting those girls know whatever you need from me this week, let me know. They were, he was carrying bags. He was double looping the girls' bags from the parking lot to the golf course. He was following everybody around, handshakes, high-fiving everybody. It was really awesome. But the Solheim Cup was sick. Sucks that the Euro team won. Um, but they made it interesting. 15-13, they only needed 14 to retain. What a weekend for those girls. It was really, really awesome to watch all week. And the last thing that we got to talk about, um, we're going to go over some Ryder Cup prediction, predictions. So Team USA, st- as it stands right now, is Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Brooks, Brooks Kapka, Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, and Patrick Cantlay. And then, like I said at the top of the show, I'm not 100% sure how the European like points team or points like work. And I don't even know if they have like a solidified like starting five yet. I don't know how they do their points over there. But on the Ryder Cup website, Team Europe... It says, like, if their name is in blue, they currently have enough points to play for the team, whatever. Based on European points, it's Rom, Roars, Tommy Fleetwood, and Terrell Hatton. I'm not looking forward to having to play Tommy Fleetwood again in a Ryder Cup. He just, like, wakes up during Ryder Cup week. And then world points, it's Victor Hovland, who is going to be a problem. Paul Casey, who's always an issue. Matty Fitz, an absolute dog. Lee Westwood, the old guy. I'm not worried about him. I don't think he's going to have a very good week. He played well two weeks in a row and then has sucked. And then Shane Lowry, who has been one of the best golfers on the planet pretty much all summer. He's His name seemingly in the top of the leaderboard, like top 30, top 20 every week. So the European team is going to be loaded, and then they can bring on some younger guys. It's going to be interesting to see who they bring on. I know Roars was playing with Thomas Peters back at Hazeltine. He was a dog. The European the Molinari in 20, what was that, 18? They have so many guys over that can play golf. 
It's ridiculous how good that team is every year. It's crazy. But the captain, Steve Stricker, who actually, I missed this in headlines, Phil Mickelson is going to be a vice captain. Freddie Couples is going to be a vice captain. I think like ZJ is also going to be over there, um, who seems to be over there every time. But we get Phil and we get um, Freddie. So that's sick. But Steve's got his workout out for him, man. Morikawa obviously is struggling all of a sudden. Who knows what how his back is feeling? I'm sure a couple weeks off is going to do wonders for that. He should be fine. Hopefully, he's going to be one of the guys that we rely on all week. Brooks just got hurt and had WD to the Tour Championship. Who knows that how bad that's going to be? He might need to replace Brooks all of a sudden. The Bryson and Brooks relationship, they hate each other. I guess um, Stricker took them all out for dinner, the top six. Uh, before the tour championship started this week. And I guess that Bryson and Brooks just didn't talk the whole time and didn't try to resolve anything, which good step in the direction, guys. Love that. And then <coughs> I saw this brought up too. If you guys remember at the Harding Park with Brooks and DJ, when DJ and Brooks were both in the mix come Sunday and then Brooks was like, yeah, well, he's only done it once. So I'm not really worried about DJ. I don't know how their relationship has been since then. I don't know. It's crazy. There's just so much happening in that locker room that I don't know how the fuck the U.S. is going to win the Ryder Cup, but whatever. Stricker needs to fill out the rest of the team. He needs six dudes. In my mind, there's four locks already, and you might disagree with the last one, but I think he's in. The first one's Xander Shoffley. That's the easiest pick of all time. He's been on uh, President's Cup team before. This is going to be his first Ryder Cup. He's a chemistry guy. He has a solid all-around game. He does pretty much every single everything well during his game. He's a good locker room guy. He's pretty much buddies with everybody on tour. He can keep up with the long drivers at Whistling Straits. He averages, I believe, like over 305 for the season. He can poke it out there now. He's going to be a fantastic partner with Cantlay, which I'm sure that will be his partner, their best buddies. Um, and playing with your best buddy, that kind of chemistry is huge. See Molinari and Fleetwood, they shoved it up our ass a couple years ago. Like That is a big thing to have that kind of chemistry at this kind of event. Although, it should be highlighted. I don't think he's ever made it to the final 16 at the Dell match play, which I don't know. I don't know his record at the President's Cup. I forgot to look that up. That might be good. But, I mean, Xander, he's in it for the big moments. I'm sure he'll be fine. Next lock is probably Tony Finau, another chemistry guy, another guy that's kind of turned it on recently. He'll get along with anyone he's paired with. Who, and Lord knows we need those type of guys, that personality an ego doesn't get in the way. Tony Finau doesn't give a shit. He'll play with it, whatever. Um, he did play in 2018. And he was 2-1-0. So decent, over 500. We'll take that. Number three is Spieth. Spieth needs to be on this team. He will be on this team. That is an absolute, the biggest no-brainer of all time. He's 7-5-2. and two. Um, This will be his fourth Ryder Cup selection in a row, I believe. So he has decent history. Obviously, that one year with Patrick Reed is the thing that is highlighted all the time. Um, but he has like a decent, decent record here, but that's the biggest no brainer. He's going to be on this team. And then I think the other lock, um, is probably going to be Daniel Berger, another rookie on the team, another young kid. He had a solid, solid finish to his season. Top center of the U S open, the open, the WGC FedEx. He just finished T 11 at the tour championship. He went low on Sunday and he was two and one at the 2017 President's Cup. So he's played in these formats before, and he's played okay. Um, but I believe those four guys will be um, locks for the team. And I don't know exactly. I don't know who is seventh on that list. I think it might be Tony. So I think if Brooks pulls out, I, that makes Tony like an automatic qualifier, so he won't need a pick, and then Stricker will need to find somebody else. But I believe that's how it works. 
So that leaves two slots open. And there's just a lot of guys that can fit can fit that spot. Kevin Na is one of them. Has made a push to the end. He's in really good form. I don't think it makes sense. This is a monster golf course. Um, if I can bring it up really quickly. Um, if I can find... I think it's like 7,800 yards, I'm pretty sure. Like, this is a big golf course. I wonder if I can go to, like, their, like... Who cares? All I know is this is a big golf course, and it looks like you're playing on the moon. Um, it's listed 7,400. I think it plays longer than that, though. So who knows? I've seen like 76 to 78 floated somewhere. I don't know. It is just a big golf course. Even if it's 7,400, that's also a big course. Um, so having a guy like Kevin Na, I don't know. He's a short hitter. Um, he also like, also, I, I remember what happened to the match play with DJ when they kind of went back and forth a little bit. Like, you got to wait for me to like tell you to pick up my ball. I don't know if he's like... Um, the most like friendly guy. I don't know if he has a great relationship with everybody on tour. I don't know if he would be a good locker room guy either. Don't know much about Kevin. Na. I don't know if a lot of people know a lot about Kevin. Na. He seems like a funny dude, but relationship wise, I don't know if he has a great relationship with anybody. When you talk about chemistry guy, a lot of the guy, a lot of people point to Kevin Kisner, which I agree. Um, I think he had a case after he won a few weeks ago. Um, he didn't do shit since I think he like missed a cut at his next tournament. I don't think he did anything in the playoffs whatsoever. And I think for him to make the team, I think he needed to go on a little bit of a run. Um, but again, just a monster golf course, Kevin Kisner short off the tee. He's a good ball striker, good iron player. He's a problem on the greens. Like he's one of the best putters in the entire world. And during match play, during Ryder Cup, having good putters on your team that can make 25 footers on, I don't want to say a regular basis, but have the stones to hit a 25 footer for birdie on 16 to take a one up lead going into the last two holes. Like you need those type of guys. And Kevin Kisner is one of those dudes. Remember the President's Cup a couple of years ago, him and Phil Mickelson just fucking everybody over at Liberty National. You could use a guy like Kevin Kisner. But again, after he won, you could call it a win hangover, whatever. Who knows if he's going to make the team? I just think he's the perfect guy to bring in to fix the locker room chemistry. The locker room sucks right now. He would fix a lot of those problems because you can put Kisner with anybody. I don't know if they're going to do that. I just think that he could be good at it. Who knows? Um, another guy that you could pair with anybody is Webb. He's a leader. He's a veteran, has a lot of experience. He's 4-4-1 four, four, and one in three Ryder Cups, so not a great record, but he's hanging in there. Another really good putter. He can make putts from all over the place. But again, a short hitter on an enormous golf course. Who knows? The most complicated situation probably right now is Patrick Reed. Um, when you get to a team format, when you get to the Ryder Cup, when you get to a President's Cup, the one guy that every single U.S. captain should pick as a captain's pick for their team is Patrick Reed. He's a dog in these situations. This is what he plays golf for is these situations, but he's coming off pneumonia bilateral pneumonia. I think is the per is the exact thing that he had fighting for his life a few weeks ago, played in the tour championship. I mean, like, what do you expect the guy to play shoot 15 under whatever? I don't know if he's going to be on the team. Obviously that's going to be a conversation that Stricker and Reed have to have. Cause I think if he feels good enough to play, he has to be on the team. I just think that. And he's, he hasn't had a lot of good fishing finishes of late, but he went through a stretch earlier this season where he was in the top 10 pretty much every week. So I don't know. 
I think Will Zalatoris would have been in the conversation if he made the FedEx Cup playoffs. I think if we've seen him over the last month playing good golf, he would be on the conversation. He hasn't played, I think, well, he hasn't played since the Wyndham. I don't know. And his putter scares the shit out of me. He's so bad at putting. It looks like he's got a little yippy thing. I don't know if he needs to do the Stuart Sink thing and purposely have the yips and then he can make short putts. But Willie Z on the green scares me because, man, could that kid not putt? I don't know. And during Ryder Cup, I would rather, I know he's a phenomenal ball striker. And that's the thing, like during some of the formats, he's not going to need to putt all the time. So he can, he can set up guys like a Kevin Kisner for 15 feet for birdie on every hole. And that's a big advantage. But again, when it's his turn to putt, man, can he not putt? So I don't know. The one kid that I love for this team, because he brings youth energy. He makes a fuck ton of birdies is Scotty Scheffler. I think he is the perfect fit for this team. I really do. I know he's still looking for his first win on tour, but again, he can make birdies in bunches. He was in the finals at the match play versus Billy Ho, so you know he can play in this type of format. He's got a lot of energy, like I said. I don't know. I love Scotty Scheffler for this team. I think if I was to pick the six captains pick, he would be one of the last ones that I pick. I just think Scotty Scheffler should absolutely be on this team. Sam Burns has been one of the hottest players on tour for the last few months. I don't know if he's ready for this sort of situation. He hasn't been in that sort of situation before. Again, it kind of comes down to the Kevin Knott thing. I know Sam Burns can keep up distance wise, but like, do I trust Sam Burns to make a 15 foot putt on 17 to push a match? Like, I don't know. I would rather have Scotty Scheffler in that, in that, in that situation. I don't know. And the last one, Harris English, he's had a great season, very consistent, good ball striker, can put it, put it well at times. But again, like, I don't know. And I don't know if I'm getting caught up in the whole name thing. Like if his name isn't big enough to be on the Ryder Cup team, I just don't know. Don't know if I trust him in that situation. So if you were to ask me who would I fill out the team with in the situation that Brooks Kepka plays, so the six guaranteed spots that are qualified right now, those stand. My four picks would be Xander, Tony, Spieth, Berg, Scotty Scheffler, and Patrick Reed if he's healthy. If Patrick Reed isn't healthy, that's where it becomes a lot more complicated because then you're looking at guys like Kevin Na, Kevin Kisner, Webb Simpson, Sam Birds, and Harris English, which four of those guys all hit it right around the same off the tee. I don't want to be like a biased dude because I like him and I'm a fan of him, but I wouldn't mind seeing Kisner on that team. And I know for a lot of people that makes no sense because of the golf course. I just think he brings so much to that locker room, so much for the chemistry and so much on the greens that it's like hard. Like Kevin Kisner making it on our Ryder Cup team as the very last pick isn't the worst situation to be in. So I don't know. Those would probably be my six. Xander, Tony, Spieth, Berger, Scotty Scheffler, and Kiz. If Patrick Reed couldn't go, I would want Patrick Reed over Kevin Kisner 100 times out of 100. But if Patrick Reed cannot go, Kevin Kisner brings that same dog mentality. All I have to do is beat you. He's fantastic in those situations. You see at the Ryder Cup, I mean, not the Ryder Cup, the match play every single year. He's in it every single year. He's, he's just beating dudes and beating dudes that hit it further than him. He just plays his game and makes putts. And those are the kind of guys that win matches. So I don't know. I don't know if that's the right choice for Stricker, but if Reed can't go, those would be those would be my six. I'd put I'd make his my last pick. 
I can't wait. Those picks should be out this week. I'm really excited to see who our team's going to be. And then next week on the show, we get to preview the Ryder Cup. That's pretty much going to be the only thing that we talk about next week on the show, I believe. Um, I may or may not have um, show update um, news. I know that I have a couple meetings this week for work to figure out um, what we're going to do podcast-wise. We may move the day is the only thing that is kind of up in the air right now. It may now come out on Wednesdays, which isn't that big of a deal. Um, But when we have... Um, like guess we're going to have a new betting segment and all that kind of stuff. Um, the people availability and all the information and all that kind of stuff is better if we're able to record that kind of stuff on Tuesdays and then maybe even put it out later that day. So I don't know. Um, but be on the lookout for all of that. Obviously I'll let you guys know when I know, um, follow the Instagram at twilight nine pod. And then my personal is at Riley Hamill underscore. If you guys want to follow all the Instagrams, Twitter is the same thing. TikTok is the same thing. Um, send an email, Riley at twilight9.com if you guys have questions for the show, anything like that. But again, once I have um, an update on the show and everything going on with it, I will let you guys know. But for the show this week, that is it. I will talk to you guys next week to preview the Ryder Cup. Peace. What is going on, everybody? This week on Twilight Nine, we recap both the Tour Championship and the Solheim Cup. The Solheim Cup was a thousand times better than the Tour Championship. And then we do a little bit of a preview for the Ryder Cup. Who's on the team? Who's off the team? We try to make our predictions. Link it by to listen to the show.